0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to defuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstro.
1: And I'm Greg Monteith,
0: And we're back today to talk about another article. This article is titled, This is Not a Daycare, It's a University, written by Dr. Everett Piper president at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. This post seemed to tie in well with episode 108, which was titled facing uncomfortable topics. And it, in that podcast, Greg and I looked at a article from the Atlantic called the coddling of the American mind. Mm. So I thought there was an interesting tie in between this blog post and the article in The Atlantic, but maybe not in the way one would expect.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: So, let me read this, let me read a couple paragraphs from this post. The The essence of the post, well, I don't even know if there's a way to sum up the essence of the post. Uh, We'll get there. So, quoting from the top. This past week, I actually had a student come forward after a university chapel service and complain because he felt victimized by a sermon on the topic of 1 Corinthians 13. It appears this young scholar felt offended because a homily on love made him feel bad for not showing love. In his mind, the speaker was wrong for making him and his peers feel uncomfortable. I'm not making this up. Our culture has actually taught our kids to be this self-absorbed and narcissistic Anytime their feelings are hurt, they are the victims. Anyone who dares challenge them and thus make them, quote, feel bad about themselves is a, quote, hater, a bigot, an oppressor, and a victimizer. And this seemed to tie in well with the Atlantic article, which was all about, you know, avoiding triggers and Mm -hmm. um, (sighs) causing people to dwell on uncomfortable topics. And I was like, oh, interesting. So uh, he's... Observing the same behavior in his university setting as this article in the Atlantic did, but then it took a really, well, it took an took kind of a left turn, an unusual left turn, and yet it was way too familiar to me, and so I had to share it with you, which I knew would probably (laughs) set you off.
1: (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) So it did. Explain your left. Explain the left turn. Well, the, the the left
0: turn is is so it continues. You know. I have a message for this young man and all others who care to listen. That feeling of discomfort you have after listening to a sermon is called a conscience. An altar call is supposed to make you feel bad. It's supposed to make you feel guilty. The goal of many a good sermon is to get you to confess your sins, not coddle you in your selfishness. The primary objective of the church and the Christian faith is your confession, not your self-actualization. So what I take away from this part of the post and pretty much the rest of it, which which seems to kind of go along the lines, there seems to be an implicit assumption that we're doing it right. Mm. The message that was preached at this chapel was 100% right on the mark, <laughs> that whatever admonition was given to the student body was perfect. The you know exposition of this particular scripture passage was done perfect. And that the only, you know, responsibility here for not reacting properly to it is the people that hear it. And so this majorly pushes my buttons because this is some of my past speaking here, which is here's the right message. Get on board with it. If you don't agree with it, there's something wrong with you. Our message is perfect. It's been perfectly you know exposited from the bible and this is exactly what the bible means and you need to do it and if you have a problem with it that means that your heart is hardened there's something wrong with you and there could be nothing wrong with us because we're a christian university we're a church i'm a pastor whatever so just gets me going
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right here's my response to you john what's that a golf clap. <laughs> no, it's not a golf clap. I clapped in It was a cheer. <laughs> you'd, you'd have to filter me. No. I know I'm totally I'm I'm 100% on board with you. So I think it, you just it, summarized it beautifully.
0: Okay, so it was just it was just fascinating to me cuz I was like, "Oh, this this really ties into the Atlantic." And then I'm like, "Oh, not really at all." I mean, it kind of does, but in just kind of a weird way and it just kind of yeah, the whole point, it seems, of this post is that, you know, this isn't supposed to be a safe place. And, you know, we're here to teach you how to be selfless and and not be self-centered. And, mm-hmm. and this isn't a daycare. This is a university. So, again, the university has all the right answers. And we're going to make you uncomfortable because we're doing it 100% right. So when we make you feel uncomfortable, like, you just need to assume that you're wrong and we're right. That's yeah. just... That's just bogus.
1: Yeah, no, I It doesn't totally agree. say
0: that here, but I don't know how else you read this and not come away with like, how can you write an article like this from the standpoint of, well, you know, I mean, like, there's not any error in this article that says, hey, maybe we got it wrong. Hey, maybe I should take a second look at that homily or, like, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's all a hundred percent on the other party taking no responsibility for themselves or for the, the author.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit it right on. I mean, it's it's funny because the, the, the similarities with the the the, the Atlantic article are, are really striking. I mean, even at the the second last, the last line of the second last paragraph, we don't believe that you've been victimized every time you feel guilty and we don't issue, quote, trigger warnings, end quote, before altar calls. Yeah, you know, I, that was straight so out of, yeah, that was. It's straight, the same. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's the same sort of terminology, the same sort of, um, yeah, response, and yet they're not. Uh... Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, I th- the thing I really liked about that Atlantic article is it ended with all of those. I'm just going to scroll down to them. Common cognitive distortions, and it gave ten common <laughs> cognitive I bet there's distortions some in this article. <laughs> well, this I don't is know. Where I'm I've... just speculating maybe that's yeah. what set me
0: off go ahead
1: well for me i think i think what i found really striking is on the one hand you know um i want to agree with uh, dr everett piper about the fact that our feelings um aren't to be you know should not be um the thing that is um the determining factor in our decision making uh but i don't think about any of my faculties in isolation or in predominance hierarchically over all the others right i don't want my imagination i don't want my intellect my intellect uninformed by the rest of my my existence by my experiences by my emotive responses by my my uh imagination no 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 no. we we end up making some very inhumane decisions when we go with just our pure intellect so yeah on the one hand great you know it's you don't want to be led by your your um emotional responses. And yet as you say, there's there's no digging into this. I mean, this reminds me too of the article we did on um uh crisis in biblical literacy by the uh which was an article put out by uh, in a Biola magazine. Oh yeah. University Episode magazine. fifty-four. Oh man, you, you are a monster with those numbers. I don't <laughs> no, know how there's to just, do that.
0: There's just certain ones that stand out. That was definitely one. Oh.
1: Well, I mean, in that one, too, we were thinking like, okay, so it's, it's, it was talking about people who weren't, you know, it's, it's all the same, roughly the same sort of genre, the same kind of area or problem. Things aren't working out for you, right? You're, you're, maybe your, your prayer life's not working. You, um, you don't enjoy church or whatever. Well, what's going on for you? You know, and this guy, this student, whoever it is, feels victimized by a sermon. Well, first of all, as you said, I don't know, were you there? was this person who's writing this article was uh, the president of the university there did you hear it was there something that you know just because you're preaching on 1 Corinthians doesn't um, inoculate your your sermon against
0: <laughs> abuse yeah it doesn't make your doesn't make your homily exact, automatically loving <laughs> no it doesn't so i mean a of and, there could have been and some i issues. mean hmm. to be clear though i'm not letting the student off the hook either no. in other words i'm not saying that the student has I don't well, yeah, if if as it's described here, the student is coming up and saying, You've just victimized me mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's not taking care of your own stuff. That's that's saying, you know, you've done something to me. And that's not really starting at a good that's not really a good way to start a a confrontational dialogue either.
1: <laughs> no, and I guess I would wonder too, like what's going on for somebody what type of institution is this and what type of person are you and what type of people are you amongst if something's going on and it's really going off the rails and you just kind of sit through it, you know, like maybe I'm talking as a 46 year old adult. I mean, I I don't know. I don't care what it would be. It would have to be like, I don't know my kid's performance. And in the middle of my kid's performance, something was said that was just atrocious. And of course I would still sit there because it's my kid's performance. Right. But in most other things, If something is really atrocious, um, I'll just get up and leave if I think that I can't handle it. And, you know, we all have different sort of breaking points. But it would seem strange to me to ever possibly use such powerful language as victimization and yet to have not taken some action on my own behalf when that was taking place.
0: But doesn't victim imply that you're powerless?
1: Well, yeah, but I think that's part of the argument that I would put against that person. Like, what's going on here? Somebody may have made a bad move, but it seems like there are two made. Why didn't you get up and leave? Mm. You know, and, and what's the context? Like, if this guy's coming to the – and maybe this is what's happened, you know? Maybe this person was – I'm trying to be completely generous here. I'm not trying to fabricate something. Just being completely generous. Maybe the student's in there. This sermon is going in a really strange direction. Seems to be just kind of, you know, it's not – uh Trying to encourage people, it's not trying to even move people towards this sort of sense of contrition and sense of hey, yeah, okay, I missed the mark here. Maybe it was damaging. Maybe it was you know, as the student used the word victimizing, and and maybe what they have done later is said, you know, I just I just can't live with this. I'm gonna have to go talk to the president. Well, I hope that's not what happened because man, you <laughs> whoever that student is, they they certainly sure didn't. Um, they were basically told just get check out of daycare and check back into university 101. <laughs> so, good for you. Uh, that didn't work very well, did it? Um, I'm familiar with those types of situations. They they don't feel good. Yeah, but I mean, so there there's, there's a, there are a lot of questions here. I think what I agree with you completely that this there's a the, there's no sense in which, you know, he, he goes immediately from his first paragraph of describing the situation to his next paragraph beginning with I'm not making this up. And then tell us about the whole problem instead of saying, you know, I spoke with the student at length and I had some understanding of where he's coming from. And I still, despite, you know, maybe some connections here with some stuff in the student's past, despite the fact that I think the student may be using language that, may have used language that really overplayed the situation. Not just if I was been there, if I would have been there, what I would have thought, but I think really what the student thought. I don't know the student really felt victimized. It seems like, Seemed like he or she was perhaps really angry or whatever, but instead of instead of leaving, you know, covering off your bases, and this is the other thing that I think we, I find really really strange because in an academic context, that's what academicians do, and this is being written by Doctor Everett Piper. And when I looked at the um, when I looked at his profile, I mean, true enough, he, he's a he's a PhD. He's not a medical doctor, so I I don't understand from a an academic perspective where academia is a very conservative discipline and you're, you're, you're always wi- wary of extending yourself, of saying too much, of being caught out, you know. Things move in small baby steps in, in, in the academy. How somebody would possibly feel comfortable as an academician making these types of statements, you know. Academics are like lawyers, they're famous for covering their asses. <laughs> it's just what you do because if you don't, you lose credibility. So I could publish three articles and come off looking like a goof, and then I, you know, get shot down by my peers who, through you know, responses over the next whatever six to twelve months, I go back to publish again, and lo and behold, the journals won't take my stuff. Well, you know, that's 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 not just like professionally di- difficult that, that's that's cutting into my gravy here because part of what i have to do as an academician is i have to publish that's probably part of my contract so there are good reasons for academicians for professors and such to be careful about what they say and to cover off and say okay uh, you know um i want to preclude the idea that this is just you know i haven't really engaged with the student at all because i did spend some good time with the students and we made some progress nevertheless but instead this guy just jumps right in
0: Well, it's it's interesting it's a mix because towards the end, it's like, at OKWU, we teach you to be selfless rather than self-centered. That seems pretty good. We are more interested in your practicing personal forgiveness than political revenge. I would agree with that, too. We want you to model interpersonal reconciliation rather than foment personal conflict. Not sure what that means, but I think I agree with it. (laughs) We believe the content of your character is more important than this color of your skin. Obviously. We don't believe that you have been victimized every time you feel guilty and we don't issue trigger warnings before altar calls. See, I agree with that whole paragraph. But then it's, it, it takes that, that left or right turn at the end. Oklahoma Wesleyan is not a, quote, safe place, but rather a place to learn. To learn about li- that life isn't about you, but about others. That the bad feeling you have while listening to a sermon is called guilt. The, see, that's the part that I just, I don't agree with. I, yeah, maybe sometimes there is... I want there to be a place for both. I want there to be a place for, okay, yeah, maybe sometimes you hear a sermon or a homily about something and you do feel convicted and you should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. But maybe sometimes you feel convicted and and convicted in a, in a sense, in a way that makes you feel conflicted. Mm-hmm. So I told a story a long mm-hmm. time ago about being in college at Biola and Tony Campolo coming to speak. And it was missions conference. So every semester, every every fall, or maybe every spring, I don't know, there was a week without classes. And it would be three or four solid days of lectures in the gym and different buildings all about missions. And there was Tony. I can still remember where I was sitting in the gymnasium. Tony Campolo was pounding the pulpit saying, quote, IBM does not need another Christian businessman. We, you know, we are all called to serve the poor and, and you all need to be in the inner city, uh, working there. Mm. And did I feel convicted in that moment? Totally. Like, how could you not listen to like one of his presentations and not like get kind of swept away and kind of like, Oh wow, I need to live a different life. And wow, that's a good point, And yeah, I'm nodding my head along, but then I get to the end of it and it's like, well, but I I'm studying business. I'm going to go work for a business. I'm going yeah. to work for a big accounting firm or a bank. I don't remember what year. I don't remember what year that was for me. But it was like, there's only one right answer here. And it's that you can't go work at, you can't go work at a big business. <laughs> because, you know, there's mm. this one verse we've been reading over and over in the Bible that makes it clear that, you, that, that, you know, that's not where Jesus wants you to go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in that moment I felt convicted in the sense that I'm like, oh wow, I better do something, but you know, also mixed up in there is like, do I even believe this stuff and is God real for me and stuff that you know I'm still still processing and working through. Yeah but did did that quote conviction mean that that he delivered the right message? I think his I think his message was bogus.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, they're looking. It's funny because they're looking for you to have. The right emotional response.
0: Yes, and they get to decide what right is. And that, just, yes. that just gets me every time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I would say that I am much less comfortable with all of that last paragraph, those last two paragraphs. Why is that? Aside from the, we believe the content of your character is more important, the color of your skin. Although I don't think the color of your skin... Matters for much of anything. It's almost
0: like a false dichotomy, right? I mean, it's like. like,
1: Just kind of throwing that in there to. Well, I I don't want to be selfless, right? We've talked about this oodles and oodles of times. I I think this is one of the huge misunderstandings. That sounds scandalous. I know. (laughs) I know. I am concerned about myself. Love my neighbor as myself. You will screw up. You will mess up. You will make it will not work if you don't love yourself rightly, right? I think there's a, there's a definite hierarchy in there. So when when, it, when, the gospel writers are citing or quoting Jesus as saying, you know, the greatest commandments to love God. I'll, I'll just use my paraphrase of it. The greatest commandment is to love God entirely. Love yourself rightly. Love your, love your neighbor likewise. I'm understanding what it is to love myself rightly through my relationship with God. And that way of loving myself rightly is what I play out towards other people. It's how I understand. Listen, here's how God loves you. Here's how you see yourself within this this, the context of this, you know, human divine relationship. So
0: this is oh, I get it now. So this is back to this whole idea that some would espouse that we're to become nothing.
1: Yeah, this is what I see happening in here. We're not important, right? It's, it's, it's you, you to learn that life isn't about you. Of course, it's about me. And of course, it's about other people. Of course, if I don't value myself and this is, this is, you know, he's talking about, it's not about where I'm not sure where he says this. Um, yeah. The bottom, the primary objective of the church and the Christian faith is your confession, not your self-actualization. And I would say you've, you've totally misunderstood what self-actualization is about because as I value myself, as I have become self-aware, that allows me to become more and more in tune and uh, accepting of that primary relationship between me and God. So he's undercutting some of the very things that he, we need as human beings to live out what, the, what I'm reading the Bible's Bible to, to, to indicate to be our highest calling as human beings. Be in right relationship with God, to thereby that we might be in relationship with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us. So, yeah, I, I see. I see so much of this as just it, it's part of a rhetoric that we've been taught. We're trying to magnify God. We have to be small because God's big. Or the smaller we can get, the bigger we can show God to be. And I think that's that's completely false. You know, I'm reminded time and time again of the, the opening portion of C.S. Lewis's Narnia Kron, Aslan, you know, first addresses all of the speaking beings. And his comment is, is, his kind of proclamation is, I give you yourselves. And this is what so much, I think, of evangelical Christianity has, has, has forgotten, ignored, failed to take into consideration, um, you know, and, and I think there, there are a lot of theological issues that, you know, there's this bad theology in here. But, you know, in the podcast or pardon me, the blog post that I wrote in response to this letter, um, a, a lot of this is also to do with the fact that we as Christians, we somehow have this crazy idea that theology is good enough on its own. You know, as, as Greg Lowry would say, theology can go it on its own. No, it can't. Theology is one way of understanding something about who we are in the world. Now, I would say that Christian theology is extremely important, and that I cannot go without it. But in the same manner, theology is incomplete. You know, and this comes back to, again, other ways of protecting God. I want to make God seem big by claiming the Bible is infallible. Every word was written just as it was, as it should have been. What? Why do we need that? Really? I don't think so. This is a compiled text. It wasn't just dropped from heaven. This is a text that was in shreds and pieces that has been painstakingly put back together over, you know, centuries of writing. Some pieces of the biblical text were written centuries before our best our best and earliest copies of other pieces that are right adjacent to them. And then they're written in different locations. And I'm not saying that we haven't put the Bible together well. I think that's it's been a superlative job, but I don't think that for all of that, that we can, yeah, I think I lost my, lost my train of thought there on that one, but um, take, take me back. Well, (laughs) I'm getting a little worked up here. You you were talking about,
0: well, loving your neighbor as yourself. You have to love yourself first. The idea of, magnifying God, making God big and a small.
1: Let me go back then. So the point that I was trying to make is that the Bible is a compiled text across locations of, you know, where these individual fragments and pieces of papyrus were found over different centuries. And we're trying to create this idea of infallibility or promote it uh, and inerrancy so that we can say that God is somehow perfect, right? That God is worthy of being, that God is Godlike. When in actual fact, you know, we don't need to take these steps. The biblical text, I would say, we need to argue for is good enough to do the job in all cases of informing human beings about something essential in terms of their nature, God's nature, and how the two should relate. You know, so we've got this idea that every single word is properly placed. Well, a word is not a unit of meaning, the unit of meaning is the sentence, right? I can shake a sentence and change a word or two mildly. Would that be an error in an inerratist sense or infallible sense? I think so. Does it change the meaning of, this, of the sentence? No. You know, if I if I change the words radically, yes, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about everything being just so precise. And it's this whole sort of precision and his focus on precision, as you noted earlier, this inability. Like, I, I think that probably the writer of this article, Dr. Everett Piper, doesn't even think he needs to say, oh yeah, I took some time with a student. I think there's this sense of of entitlement and ownership that a lot of these people have. Well yeah, because
0: they're the they're the authority. They're the teachers. They're the administrators.
1: They're speaking for God.
0: Well, they would never say that. And I don't think they think that, but I think they do think that I think they do consider themselves in quote a place of authority over these students.
1: Yeah. Well I, I think there's more going on there, whether they would admit it or not. I think there's a lot of we speak for God that happens here. Because I think if people were more, less certain on that idea, were less solidly in that camp, there would be a whole lot more checking your bases, verifying your facts, double checking over here. Hey, what did that sermon have in it? What was going on? This kid's used language that I don't think works. You know, I'm I'm really sketchy on this, but what, something happened there. This kid does, does a kid, you know, did he walk into a cafeteria and say, oh, they were victimizing me. Like, is he using that word for anything that might go wrong or even anytime? Or is this, you know, so some of that stuff I think is just, um, it's part and parcel of what it is to hold those positions. As you said, I think it's about authority, but I think there's also a lot more, I'd be a lot more suspicious about people really holding a much stronger view that they represent God. Yeah, I and don't. I, I, they would never you know, agree to that. No, of course they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. But if I walked in there and challenged them and gave them, I mean, I remember a student at, at the college I went to speaking to a very renowned professor. The student had taken as much uh, Greek and Hebrew as could be taken at the college, which was not enough to be at a professorial level, but was still substantial. And instead, when the student said, you know, to the, to the professor who was teaching theology. And if I said his name, every, everybody would know it. So I'm not going to bother saying the prof's name. But uh, she went to the prof and said, you know, I, I've, I've got a, an issue with this theological notion on exegetical grounds. And instead of engaging with the student on exegetical grounds, which is what you should do and say, okay, well, let's talk exegesis. And you show me where you're coming from. I'll show you where I'm coming from. We may still disagree, but we're going to have the conversation. The prof simply pushed it aside. I don't think any of these people are accustomed to be challenged. I don't think like who challenges the president of a university. I'm doubting anybody there would. You and me. You and me. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> That's it, right? I, I'm I'm I would be shocked. I would be utterly shocked and, and unspeakably impressed if, for instance, I forwarded this my my post to this guy, to this uh, Dr. Everett uh, Piper, and he was willing in any way to engage they got to do it then okay let's do it (laughs) let's do it we get anything back from him i will be amazed because i just don't think i think that this is part of this whole i don't want to craft it like a conspiracy theory but i I think it's an all-encompassing mentality it's pervasive you know and when we have to be self-effacing the people who have to keep us in line in terms of making sure that we are being selfless and self-effacing, that we understand life's not about us, it's about other people, are themselves immune to critique. And that's how that system keeps, keeps getting perpetuated, right? Right. And that's,
0: yeah, that's kind of what I was saying is the whole thing feels like a, an unfair setup. Yeah.
1: All right. I'll email them. I'll send my link. What more do you want to say about this one? What do you, one more? I feel you like we kind
0: of covered it all. Do you, is there anything you think we missed or should bring out?
1: You know, something about it is strange because I know we have these conversations and you know, you'll get heated or I'll get heated or we'll both get heated. And I don't know, I don't, it'd be interesting to know what it's like for you when you get heated. But normally when I get heated when we're having one of these, it like at least in the last year and a half, when we've been doing these by the end i'm not heated anymore and i'm still heated on this one i'm still really feeling irritated really yeah
0: well i mean the topic i mean if if i if i came across another post like this that was the same thing i think i would probably still yeah i would expect them to issue a trigger warning for me first <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i don't yeah yeah it's yeah it's the setup it's the And I think, yeah, for me, I I know I can say that's just too much history of not necessarily people at a university, but but people in positions of some authority, Mm. whether it be my age or position or whatever, that, yeah, I just, you know, they brought down the hammer and they were completely right in bringing down the hammer. And the fact that I either responded or didn't respond was you know really all up to me
1: mhm mhm yeah well i guess the th- i guess the thing that that gets me about it is that there's no way to critique what's happening unless you get a handle on the entire system so there's an entire system of self-effacement of privileging Anything biblical over anything human, as opposed to seeing that there's an integration that's necessary between the two. Well, yeah, there's- I think
0: you would have to break. Well, yeah, I think there's a number of layers here. I mm. think you would first have to, you probably have to start somewhere else, but eventually you'd have to get there and deacons I think there's a bunch of built-in assumptions mm-hmm. that I think some people reading this article would be like, yeah, right on, exactly, preach it. Like, yeah, you know, you you go to university and you know they're there to shape your character not make you feel good so you know do you want your character shaped keep going there if you don't well you're taking the easy way out and and you know okay
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I'm sure you're going to get that a lot because there are a lot of people who would see absolutely no issue with you know self-actualization is bad self-centeredness in any sense is, mm-hmm. is, is you know sinful this life is not about you um, you know and and it's fascinating to me too, that this, this kind of, this, I don't know, young scholar, whoever this is, this person, um, obviously, uh, you know, a male, this young man was completely dismissed, thrown out there. And, you know, who knows what's going to, what's happening to him. There's this kind of, you know, the, the, the shape up or ship out sort of mentality. And it's, it's strange to me how, There's such a desire to protect truth and how, you know, here's what truth looks like when it's presented to you. It should kick you in the teeth. Here's what you should do when you get kicked in the teeth. You should just double over and say, uncle. And there's nothing at all about love in there. You know, there's nothing at all about, you know, even a little asterisk at the end. The student and I had a good chat after this. And, you know, we've, we've come to some better understandings. That doesn't say anything. It doesn't say Jack, but it does say in a, in a nutshell. She came around. <laughs> I cared enough. No, I, no, I think this person is, is more important than the concept. But what I'm getting out of this is the concept is far more important than the person, right? What I'm getting out of this is I don't know if, if Dr. Everett Piper knows this person's name or would, would give a rip if this person said, oh, you know what? I'm out of this school. Forget it. I'm done. And I'm sure that there are people who move in and out of various educational institutions for various reasons and that trying to control all of that is beyond anyone's uh, you know, power. But uh, I wouldn't think that someone who is approached directly – I mean I know one incident, just one, where I approached the president of my college. He took eight hours with me and my wife because we had been seriously mistreated. And this doesn't take time to see anybody. He's super duper busy. So, yeah, just even a little footnote in there would tell me, uh, you know, okay, I'm I'm as concerned about people or more so than I am about ideas. And I think for me, this comes back to that whole love and truth piece. Truth is always, when it comes down to it, more important than love. So uh, that's what I'm reading here. That's not what I would say. I would say that the two are, uh, you know, um, in a flexible and, and mutually kind of, correcting tension so that they can speak back to each other possible to have you know one criticize the other
0: thanks for listening to the untangling christianity podcast notes and links for this episode are at untangling We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.